Our scripture reading for today is from Joel chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. Oh, and children, you can go. So you're dismissed. Be free. Okay. Joel 1, 13 through 20. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. It is not the food cut off before our eyes, oh, is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan, The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. It's the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And... um, We're going to continue in our sermon series in the book of Joel. And last week we looked at how the Lord through Joel was giving us a, what I described as a pre-requiem to the day of the Lord, a day of ultimate and possibly final judgment on God's people and the world around them. A day that would forever change the lives and world of people. We saw how this was being felt in our everyday lives lives, and world. Well, today we are going to repeat and review some of those same themes, but this time I want us to concentrate on owning the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. So what should we do about it, especially those who claim to be believers or or Christians out there? In, In the feel and flow of a world that is difficult to live in, Joel gives us, I believe, three things we should do. Recognize, represent, and reach. Recognize... that the Lord is at work in this world and represent humanity on earth and finally reach out to this broken world. But that is easier said than done when you are on what feels like the losing cause of things, seeking a moral victory, right? I was so excited that first week in December, right up here at Bank of America Stadium, my alma mater, Clemson had just won its first ACC championship since I was a student there, and I'm old. And I was ready to recognize, well, also reaching out so that you better recognize, ready to wear my gear out to Harris Teeter. I didn't even have anything to buy, just wanting to fly the flag to represent greatness and dominance in these here parts. And then, I don't like that laugh. (laughs) I went with my roommate from Clemson. No, we drove 12 hours 
paid $100 for tickets to go to the Orange Bowl in Miami, where we wore our colors and pride going in to only be drummed to the historical tune of 70 to something by an undermanned West Virginia team. Now what, Clemson fans? Well, I'll tell you what, I didn't wear anything orange back home. When I went in the grocery store, no, I mean, no one knew me. And I sure didn't do any chairs. We took those silly car flags off for the 12-hour drive of shame back home. I even came home and took the magnets off my car. And then my neighbor who played football one time for West Virginia called me out. Howard, I've been waiting to talk to you. What happened, man? I thought the game was going to be better. I, I, I mean, I never thought y'all were going to beat us. But my goodness, can you say in the face? God is calling his people to wear the jersey and fly the flag to, as we sung, to give their lives away, to recognize, to represent, to reach out, to stand between heaven and earth, to be color-bearing priests and ministers in what is more than a historically lopsided football game, but the history of humankind's lopsided failed attempt to overcome the curse of sin and the coming crushing defeat of the day of the Lord. Look with me at verse 17 through 20 once again. It says the seed shrivels under the clods. The the storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer and sheep eat anything. To you, O Lord, I call for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks have dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Joel is clear here about the natural and economic and social and religious disasters and shame and degradation that has inflicted his community. He says, then I call to who as a result to you, O Lord, why? Because he describes the dilemmas they are dealing with as being fire come down from heaven. He is recognizing that stuff is messed up because God's justice and writing of what's wrong and broken is at work. The work we recognize when we read the Bible, it is fire. It is flame from heaven. Not just a bad weather report or Murphy's Law or sociological breakdown or political mismanagement. Those things are symptomatic. They are simply the blister on the skin of an internal virus and and coming in to the disease and the disease. The world has a right curve in its spine that has cut off communication to its sovereign head, the Lord. And the Lord is actually going to dig into history, dig into our everyday lives, and he's going to have to snap, crack it back in place. But before that, he is letting that lack of God's spiritual adjustment in our lives make living the way we are and want uncomfortable and impossible for us. Verse 17, 18, and 20 describe the animals and the plants groaning. I want you to understand how this thing works. When the original man and woman sin, Adam and Eve, the curse of sin on us affected nature too. It cursed resources and it, it made it hard for us to eat and use and live in nature for our benefit. 
Nature groans and then strikes back and fails to produce because we groan and, and we groan because it groans. And it creates this, as I would describe, an, an intense symphonic duet that is crescendoing and declaring that something has to break out or on things to make it right. You just look around, put on the lenses of what the Lord has said about himself in the Bible, right? That this stuff that is happening is not happening for no purpose. Let me say this. There is no unauthorized occurrence in the world. Everything, natural or or supernatural, everything in in history or in society is manufactured. Sorry, y'all. There is no purely natural, organic anything. Because God has manufactured it with his own sovereignty and purposes. And his people called to recognize the God of the Bible as the one who is acting through these things. That he is painting a picture and message with the canvas and oils of our sin and bad decisions and brokenness and fallen and suffering creation. And he's speaking to us and calling us to do something. How do they sing it in the color purple? The Lord is trying to tell us something. And in this case, in Joel, the Lord is calling his people to recognize that very voice, to recognize that song, to recognize the acts of the Lord, not knowing why and exactly what and saying, I know what has happened to these people because they're this. Or this disease came to put judgment on this group. Not doing that kind of um, um, really distinct sort of prophetic thing, but but saying that the Lord is the judge and God over all that is happening and going on down here. Being those who not only recognize God being the one at work, but who stand before God as representatives of humanity, humanity's brokenness and humanity's dignity. Look back with me at verse 13 at the beginning of your reading. It says here, put on sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of God, of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withhold from the house of your God. It says, consecrate a fast and call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. It is, is, is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. Now understand what sackcloth was. It was like wearing some itchy drawers, right? Like, like wearing burlap panties, right? Not, not, yeah, they were not boxers. They were briefs. Tidy, not so whitey's man panties. Yeah, that's right. Joel is calling God's people to have prickly scratchiness close up all over one of the most sensitive parts of your body. And Joel says, not for a little while. He says, but wear it day and night. And these priests would wear sackcloth when when things were at critical levels, when things were really bad and when they wanted to have a funeral or or declare something really dark. And and in wearing the sackcloth and calling the priest to wear the sackcloth, Joel is saying, you need to feel and experience the uncomfortableness, the the suffering, the, the day and night constant struggles between people and their God, the dryness of their worship, the, the silence that they often feel with God, that, that God's people need to constantly 
be in touch with how harsh the conditions are for fallen people who live in injustice and, 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 and economic struggles and hardships and, and who can't, I said can't, and have a hard time, in verse 16, to have joy and gladness before God. This is about experiencing. This is about being in touch with your and with it the broken and unjust and suffering reality of the world around you all the time. It is a call to never Never get comfortable with human or even as verse 18 says, creational suffering. We should never be okay with people and nature being cut off from the Lord's goodness or rightness. It should itch us. It should scratch us. It should bother and move us. Joel is saying that those who are believers, yeah, those church folk who said, I give myself away. I'm glad we did that song. Those who are people of God, those who believe God lives among and in them, should never be about seeking the comforts and luxuries of this world to the degree to which it cuts them off or fools them into thinking that things are okay. Man, it's the opposite of the way Christianity has been going these days, right? Pray hard to God so we can stop having life so hard. And yet Joel says, if you pray to God, he's going to make you wear some sackcloth. The Lord is calling his people to not escape it. Escape is not a, a choice when it comes to God's people in the world. Jesus even said to the disciples, Lord, he says, y'all, y'all going to suffer here. And, and when does he pray to God? Lord, I pray that you would keep them, but you would keep them in the world. The Lord is calling his people to stay in sackcloth until the day of the Lord finally comes. We who are his people are called to always be on edge when people suffer and things fall apart and break. We should never build a comfort Christian world or community where we fool ourselves. And we got kind of the Christian gym and the Christian school and the Christian nursery and the Christian this and the Christian that. Now, not, not that anything's innately wrong with any of those one things or two of those things, but to try to do that, to somehow give us worldly comfort in such a way that we're cut off from the suffering of the world, that we build some sort of Christian commune. Is what Joel is saying we must avoid. We should be priests or people who can easily identify and feel and empathize and sympathize with the world's hardship and suffering. If any group of people could and should bear on themselves with soberness, the suffering of the world and their own and the world's brokenness and honesty and authenticity, it is the Lord's people. As long as the world is imperfect, we should not live as we are and seek perfection outside of the Lord's coming and making us finally perfect. It's normal. Let me tell you what's normal. Okay, when I, when I say normal, I'm talking about the way everybody lives, okay? It's normal to cover shame. It's normal to wear the makeup of I'm doing okay and I'm doing good and success and beauty and pleasure. We live in a self-prideful world and, and believers are leading in this text in mourning and wailing. In fact, Joel says what in verse 14? To cry out. 
And that word means cry out. It means yell. It means scream. It means for the pain, not only that you feel, but what you know they must or they must and should and hide from feeling. I hate to have to say this. God is calling his people to be friends and in touch with suffering. Theirs and the world's. You ever wonder why certain things in your life just won't get straight or better? And you're a believer who is trying. It's hard. You praying. You doing all the right things, right things. You paying your money. You going to church. You've been a learning community, community group, been to the elders meeting, got your prayers going up and down. You wearing the Christian t-shirts, listening to Christian rap. You doing everything right. You ever wonder why it just don't get straight? Sometimes I, I mean, I even wonder, what am I doing? Why be a Christian? I'm, I'm worse. <laughs> How do they say it? I'm more worser than they are. Driving around, you know, whether they, we were just driving around as a family, looking around, ended up in certain neighborhoods. Woo, look at that house. They might not be a Christian. Why, 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 Lord? What, what's the reason for being here? Why are we preaching this thing? I mean, I thought this was the map to comfort. Worldly comfort. Why? Because God wants you to stay in sackcloth. He wants you to stay around people who have a life of suffering, not just for you, but for the world, to mourn for the world. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of neighborhood you live in or what kind of car you drive. We ain't getting that. We're not getting into that small talk. I want you not to put that in your mind. I don't want you to go to your house and say, oh, our house is too big or our car is too expensive. No, no, don't go there. I want you to recognize that Joel says no matter what size house you live in or what kind of car you drive in, you should be driving and living, walking around that big house and nice car with sackcloth on. But even this isn't enough. I was talking to one of you this week about the inability to deal with the hardship and suffering of something in your life. Now realize something. God may keep you in your personal struggle. God may keep you right there. You praying for the Lord to relieve you, and ironically, the Lord might be keeping you there. This is hard stuff. This ain't no peanut butter and jelly. I don't know why I picked Joel. Some are supposed to be peanut butter and jelly and grilled food. This is supposed to be the light season. September when it starts getting cold. That's when we get to the hard things in the Bible, right? But no, I had to pick Joel. Maybe Joel picked me. Do you ever think that God may be keeping you in your personal struggle, relationally, emotionally, financially, physically, in your sackcloth to be able to be priestly, not for you to stop praying, but for you to keep praying with the right mind and heart? 
to empathize. Oh, Lord, I give myself away. All right. Accept what I've given. To emphasize with suffering in ways people can't find a way out of. This changes everything. Because it means our pouting and our disappointment with ourselves and others and our failures and our suffering and all the stuff going on in the world and politically and this and that must be turned into priesthood. Which means actively living for God by bearing the sufferings and brokenness of and for the people around us in this world who are living the lie of prosperity and beauty and worldly happiness. But it also points to something else. To not only represent human brokenness, but God calls us people to represent human dignity. In verse 15 and 16, it talks about joy and gladness. It's cut off along with food from the house of God. So cry. Like the beast groan. And in verse 19, and then back in 13 says, groan to who? Cry to who? To your God. To my God, the house of my Lord. Oh, Lord. The priest's actions are saying there is still something there. Or that should be more there. A restorable, a restored dignity that the relationship between God and human beings, the thing that gives us human dignity and worth is still there. Because he's still what? Our God and oh Lord. And, And so we are still his creation. And he is speaking to us and visiting us because we are humans. Creation is only suffering because of our loss of dignity, which means we are the most valuable and awesome of God's creation. And we still have it, if you will, even if it's marred a bit. God's priests are crying because they believe what God is saying. Something he's created very beautiful has gotten some nasty stuff on it and in it. This is a big disappointment and loss for the Lord. And losing his people so much so that he's going to cause something very terrible and painful in the coming day of the Lord to happen to begin and finally make it all better. The priests represent and stand up for that God-given dignity that says what? We still have a voice and hope and joy and gladness are cut off, which means it should and was and is created to be ours. That the resources and food and economics and relationships that are screwed up are cut off, which means they're supposed to be ours. But more than us still having a voice, God, it means God still has ears and eyes for us. Nihilism, nothingness, is not an option in Job. Utter disparity and throwing people in the trash, seeing people especially in this creation as lucky mud, as some sort of evolutionary tragedy that will ultimately take their dirt napping place in the circle of life, is not an option in Job. You and anybody is never nothing. The struggles and and sufferings and even the coming day of the Lord do not say that. It means God has created you and I, that that we are worth something that God is going to have to redeem. It's brokenness with judgmental fire. You are so much something that God won't leave you and me in our world alone. We've talked about this, you know, that, that abuse comes in two forms in parenting, right? This kind of physical, emotional abuse, like active abuse. But what about the abuse of neglect? 
What if God were to say, okay, I'm going to just let people do what they want to do, have everything they want to be, and do everything they want to do? Then what? It would mean we were nothing to him. So God's people fight against the nothingness and the arbitrariness, I made that word up, of human responsibility and existence before God. The people of God say and tell the world, we, you, are, and should live accountable before God for our brokenness, accountable because in God's economy, we actually count for a whole lot. This also means that God's people, the believers, the priests, should reach out to the community and world around them. Look with me at verse 14. Verse 14 says, Consecrate a feast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Now understand that this is not a call to a regular temple gathering because the temple worship, got a new mic here, getting used to it, but because the temple worship is all but gone because things are so bad. And the forecast before God and their relationship with God and each other in this world economically and socially is worse. So what is Joel saying? He is saying that God's people are called to make a way for broken people that are too broken to come before God with heads and lives held high in joy and gladness. He says we are called to make a way for them to come. And so Joel says, call a fast, call a solemn assembly, make their offering and their entry to God, make coming to church and coming to God, ironically, about what they don't have and can't do for themselves. Invite and make a way for folks to the Lord with their worst, their fears, their abuses, their shame, their heartache. The way for the broken to come to God will be open and lit in line with the tears of people who just can't get life or get life right. To you believers, you Christians especially, I must ask, As I ask myself, why would your neighbors and friends and communities say or guess you are here today? Why are you here? I hope you did not lie to them and yourself. Or give off a falsehood that is finally, that, that is finally, you know, that you, you got your life together. And, and so you're ready to see God. Or, or that you are coming because God has blessed you with prosperity and happiness because you've been so good. Or, or because you have overcome all your problems. But I hope they know you come here because you are desperate. That you stink and bleed and you come here to howl and yell out of desperate times in your world and lives and hearts. Which means that in our worship and in our communities and in our personal one-on-one dealings with people, that we make a place, that we be a place that is a space for tears, for emergency sorrow. That we have designed our worship and our lifestyles and our schedules and our story and our testimony of our lives to welcome and accept and join people who are stressed and depressed by their sin. That people are are welcomed and freed to come here 
to our homes, in our lives, not just with nothing, but people come with a whole lot of shame and depression and emptiness and dirtiness and messiness and doubt, feeling at home in our house and the house of the Lord. Is that true? I mean, it means that believers have consecrated a fast and solemn assembly in our worship and on our lives, that we have not allowed our stories to become fat and consuming off of and only upstaging how good things are, but also for the sake of others and fasting, that we have denied satisfaction and comfort because we refuse to dull our pain with stuff and emotional painkillers. We have to make a way in and for a broken world and its people by showing the way. Verse 15, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. It's not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. He says the seed shrivels under the clods, the They don't know what that verse means. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down, but it doesn't sound good, right? Because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed, because there's no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call. Stop right there. You know what people want to know? Once they're stripped bare, and led to a place where they can experience and share and are face-to-face with their suffering? What do we do now? And how can we express what is wrong? What do we say? Okay, the Lord's broken us. Okay, I'm suffering. What do I do with this mess I've made and I've become? Because people are coming and they're saying, my words to God are gone are non-existent. That's when it says there's no grain in the granaries. There's nothing they're bringing to worship. Joel is saying, I don't have a happy song to sing. I don't even have a happy heart to sing a happy song. I don't have anything to bring to him. There is nothing left. Things are so bad. I don't want to talk about the Lord being good. In fact, I only have words to say it. So many people don't know what to say about their suffering. They don't know what to say to God. Heck, sometimes we don't know where he can be found. Show me the way. Teach me the way to lay my burdens down, to lay my sin down. Heck, I can't even call it sin yet. To simply lay down my grievances and injustices and angers and pains and failures out somewhere. Where's the paperwork to fill out, right? Where's the song? Where's the camera? Where's the action? Where's the dance that will express it before the Lord? How will God and the world hear my cry? And Joel says that God's people must show and lead the way. Verse 13 says, not only put on sackcloth, but as ministers of the altar of the Lord to do ceremony before the Lord. To consecrate. To set apart fast in a solemn assembly. 
This ceremony is about having the right posture and words and format. To to what? Be in the house of God, to be where God is and cry out to and before him to yell. And the church is called to give a script for it, to guide that with a gathering of singing and confession and prayer and sacrament and fellowship and hearing the word that gives people amplification that reaches heaven. When all you have is your brokenness and sorrow, you need a vehicle to reach heaven. When all the good stuff we should have to attract God and make God attractive is gone. We we need something to curse before and to heaven. Now, I don't sound like church stuff, but don't you know that cursing is central to our worship up in here? When it says ministers of the altar, the altar is where the offering and sin sacrifices were burned and smoldered to go into God's nostrils, if you will. A curse, a cuss, a profanity has gone up to heaven for the lives of the brokenness, broken, for the brokenness of people then and now and even today in our worship. A stench of your life that stinks and sucks have gone up to heaven that amplifies your concerns before God that ironically stirs and calls God to act and bring the day of the Lord that much more sooner. So you can come. We've shown the way. Come, sing, confess your sins, lay it down. Let a curse, the, the curse, the cuss, the, the profanity, the, the stench, the, the issue in your life, lay it down and let it go up to God. The high priest back then would basically put the sin of the people on the animal and get bloodied. And then pray for them himself in God's presence. Just letting all sorts of sinful things out to God about people. Earing their dirty laundry before a holy God. Asking God why. I don't know what the answer is going to be, y'all, or if you're going to get the answer right away. Even shaking your fist. Now realize... Humility's on the way. Cussing for this life. For its sin. Jesus is the high priest and sacrifice for our brokenness. He wears a sackcloth. Don't you know when Christ came, God in the flesh, he wore itchy, irritating, and curses about the pain of living here for us? That he, Jesus, became and is the profane, the stench, the cuss, the broken anger, the used dirty sackcloth and disappointment before God. He is the amplification, the speaker box that takes our cursed human complaints and pains and lifts them to heaven. He is the way. He is the way that we point the broken to. He wears their stuff. He takes our mess. He calls forth and comes for the day of the Lord for us all. Our priesthood 
is our faith. It's not stepping outside of your faith to do something incredible. It's about living in the incredible relationship you already have with Christ. That you, as a broken person, you believers, have a Savior that hears and loves you, cares for you, to live that out loud is to stand between heaven and this earth as we point people to Christ. Christ.